0: Iroh, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with the Professor. And I'll tell you, of all the years of following owner's meetings and votes on uh, different rule changes, this now turns out to be the least and I don't know, maybe it's because it went a little bit longer, because these things were usually decided in March or maybe at the latest in May. And so here on School with the Professor, we talked to Kevin Seifer from ESPN.com. And I mean, when you look at the big picture, I mean, what, there was about ten, nine nine or 10 things to vote on. And by the time you got down to it, only four or so were able to pass.
1: Yep. And, uh, and it really goes back to the rule we always talk about when the... Uh when the competition committee does not endorse a rule change, it faces a very stiff battle to get approved. And, um, you know, the onside kick was one of those that the competition committee did not endorse. And it got further than those type of rules usually go. It actually got a lot of discussion and it got, um, you know, not an official vote, but a tabulation of where people were leaning and, uh, but in the end, that you know, I think we know the competition committee has a lot of power in terms of whether owners decide to approve rule changes or not.
0: What what, what is their uh, objection to try to go to the fourth and fifteen? What seems because again they they were able to get it up to sixteen votes in the second year that they've tried to get that through. So they got it to sixteen, yeah. but you have to get to twenty four. What does a competition right. committee and I guess some of the NFL traditionalists don't like about that?
1: I think there's. There's a couple of camps. One, there's just, as you mentioned, traditionalists who view it as gimmicky because it's a, it's an unti- it's not a true football play in terms of, um, the way we normally think of it because the clock's not running and you didn't earn your spot at the 25 yard line. You just kind of, it was just kind of randomly put there. So there's some people who just think that it's a jarring, um, change to the flow of a game. Uh, there were some other people who thought that maybe it was too much in favor of the offense that just scored and now is trying this alternative and that it wasn't difficult enough because you could you know get a pass interference call and suddenly it's an automatic first down or some other penalty that where you didn't even get, actually gain the yardage but the defense commits a penalty and that allows the team to to ret- other team to retain possession um, there was some concern about if you allowing a, a player to advance the ball without the clock running um you know so you get to get 15 yards but you could still run for more and normally in those late game situations every second counts and players have to decide should I go out of bounds do I do we use our last time out? should I just run and get as many yards as I can and none of those uh restrictions that the offense normally faces would be in play on an untimed down and finally I think there was some concern about the equity of it. Uh, If you have one fourth and 15 play and you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, you've got a shot, right? Um, If you, if it's fourth and 15 and your starter is hurt and, and you're playing your backup and all of a sudden, you know, um, Sean Mannion is trying to get you a fourth and 15, you have a much less uh, of a chance to, to, to get it. And so, um, and that's different from how things can go over the course of a game with a backup quarterback versus a Patrick Mahomes. So those are some of the objections they had. I think, they could eventually get there, but in terms of this year, um, it was too much of a, a hurdle for them. Well,
0: the one thing I thought that uh, as the week started, I thought I had a decent ch- chance of passing because I mean, you look at the onside kick and the disaster that's become. And I know you've written about this: is that uh, in situations where you know it's going to be an onside kick, it's zero for 104 in the last two years. You know, there's has been a you know success rate of like 10.5 percent total of the 114 that's there, and that's only when you have the surprise one onside kick but when you need that kick and you know it's going to happen then it's 0 for 104 so it's like okay so that stops everything so I thought the week began decent chance it was going to pass and then they come out listen 48 hours before the vote and they add an extra page of all the things that you were just talking about and it's like it's like uh uh-oh here we go again it's like the catch rule they're going to put so many things in it so much language that this thing could go down and it did go down
1: Right. And it was a, a proposal from the Eagles. And so Jeff Lurie, the owner, was sort of in charge there. And and they were getting, you know, they the people who wanted this were very uh, aggressive and ambitious and the Eagles being one of them. And so they were really seeking out uh, the opinions from people who were reticent or against it. And, you know, how can we fix this? How can we address this? How can we make this something you can vote for? And they were getting suggestions from here and there. And you know, and then this gets added into the to the uh, proposal and that gets added in and then this exception and then that uh, change. And, and the next thing you know, as you say, you have a very long and involved rule for a one very specific play. And uh, a the NFL likes to stay away from that because it puts a lot of pressure on officials to keep straight, basically a separate set of, of ground rules for this one play and be on guard for any violations. And two just the more simple thing of the more complicated something is, the more likely something is to go wrong or the more likely there is to be some unintended consequence. So um, they'll, they, rec- they the, good thing is everyone recognizes that the, on, the, the ability for a team that's down two scores late in the game to be able to, uh, to come back is a very necessary, important and an important part of the drama of football and not just, keeping fans excited, but frankly, keeping TV viewers uh, tuned in. You know, typically when a game is close, those last, you know, the ratings of a game, even at night, climb, you know, th- through the course of the game. So you want to create that possibility of hope. We know uh, that onside kicks, even in the best of years, are 15 to 20% um, likelihood Of being recovered, so you're you're four out of five times you're not going to get it and you're not going to win. But 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 that has proved to be enough of a chance for people to have the perception that a team that's down those two scores or more really does have a chance. And if and if you don't have that, um, if if it is that hard to recover an onside kick as it has been the past two years, then expect an onside kick. The surprises, as you said, are more. have a higher percentage, but when when you're expecting an onside kick and you have a very small percentage chance of actually recovering it, um, unless you have some great kicker who knows how to do it, uh, then that really changes the late game theatrics of football, which is one of the most exciting parts of the game.
0: Yeah, I love. Danny Cannell came out yesterday and tweeted, "It's like, okay, so let's. Here's what they did. They basically said that here can be the most exciting play in sports: a fourth and fifteen with everything on the line to try to get you back in the game. But instead, they'd rather go to a nerdy kicker. I thought <laughs> that was a pretty good. Yeah. Idea.
1: Yeah, it's uh, that's definitely a canal line there. Um, and and as we have talked about, like like that that speaks to a larger point where the NFL has has recognized that the kickoff is one of the most exciting plays in the game, um, the kickoff return, I guess I should say. Um, and what's happened over the past couple of years is that they've they've dramatically, for safety reasons, but dramatically reduced the excitement level and. Because we're now at almost sixty percent touchback, so you only have a, a chance of return on the other on the other forty percent, and who knows how often those are actually will lead to something interesting. Um, and then, so now you have a chance. I think fourth and fifteen is definitely exciting, even if it's a little gimmicky. And they had a chance to spice it up a little bit, and they um, and they declined. So. So they really have gone in the wrong direction, not from a safety standpoint, but certainly from a drama and entertainment standpoint on what is norm, what potentially could be one of the most fun parts of the game.
0: Well, the Baltimore Ravens put in to try to get the uh, sky judge. But, of course, knowing that the competition committee isn't in favor of that, they had to change the wording on it and calling it a booth umpire. And so uh, yeah. all of a sudden, next thing you know, that thing was going to be pulled the day before the owners meeting and no chance to vote on that. Although they did make one adjustment in having the replay official now being able to confer a little bit more as the game goes on with the referee and they're going to experiment that within the preseason, if there is a preseason. Uh, I guess yeah. that's a start, but it's not what I think is needed, which is sky judge.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, and, and the, somehow or another, whether it's through replay or a, 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 a true sky judge or some other idea that we haven't thought of, it seems clear that the NFL needs a safety net there for officiating um, for the foreseeable future until they're you know, when and if they're able to get their officiating operation to the point where they don't need it anymore. But there's too many examples of just egregious misses that have occurred to feel like those are suddenly just going to go away. And so whether you, it's a sky judge, um, you know, who has the full authority of, of an on-field official and is basically the eighth official and can not only tell the referee when there's been a mistake, because they're upstairs watching on on TV, they can actually throw the flag themselves um, or they could tell a referee, Hey, you really need to pick that up. Um, they have, so you have that kind of authority. The experiment that they're talking about is very, very limited. And in reality, it, it really just formalizes what happens on some crews already. You know, there's already replay assistants in the press box who are in charge of sort of administrating the, the replay process when there's a challenge or in your last two minutes. Um, and so many of the coaches thought, well, why can't you just make that guy the sky judge? And the NFL and the officiating department don't consider those replay assistants to be full-fledged officials because many of them haven't officiated on this level or at all, and they're not, you know, and if you find a qualified official, you're putting them on the field, not in the booth. And so they are reluctant to put them in that spot and so um, it, it's it really what we've what we've seen in the past few years is that occasionally a referee will ask if he trusts the replay assistant. Hey, you know, over his wireless, you know, where's, where's the line of scrimmage or, you know, I lost track. What You know, are we sure what time what time should be on the clock or, you know, did his foot really touch the white line? You know, that kind of thing. And that's not supposed to happen. But I think everyone is sort of understands that it does and at the end maybe justifies the means of that that you get the call right and so really what the experiment is on the for the preseason and potentially move into the regular season would be just to formalize that and make everyone aware that the referee if he chooses on certain types of plays can ask the replay assistant for some help on on seeing or rewinding and looking at, um, at what just happened on the field.
0: Okay, let's go over what they did pass, which, of course, I think in each case is maybe about, what, one or two plays a game. Uh, Philadelphia's proposal, which was to amend the rules so you have a permanent expansion of the automatic replay reviews, including scoring plays and turnovers negated by a foul uh, and or an unsuccessful try. Uh, that one was kind of a no-brainer, I think, but uh, how many plays is that going to affect the game?
1: not many but you know we there's occasionally going to be a time when uh when someone scores and then there's you know maybe there was an uh, uh some sort of penalty that negates it and uh but you have to and if, and or something that happens that negates it and you have to 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 judge whether that should have happened or not and so uh that was actually part of the pass interference review rule um that got passed last year for one uh season and they wanted that part to continue so they had to pull it out and make it a separate rule and really that's what that was about
0: okay then of course the competition committee got what they wanted which i think is okay uh, the defenseless uh receiver rule for kickoff returners or punt returners so in other words you know as you're trying to you know get the ball you're at least knowing that uh, you're not going to get totally destroyed which we see a few times a year
1: yeah especially on punts um you know we've all seen that and, and sometimes you see it, most of the time you see a guy call a fair catch when there's if there's a group of coverage guys kind of standing over him uh, waiting you know for him to catch it so they can hit him uh, or if there's a guy who's just perfectly timed his run and he and he gets there just as the ball gets there and so we've all seen those plays and you know if you do that to a wide receiver if you hit him just as he catches the ball while he's in the air and he can't defend you know ward off your 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 hit uh then that's a penalty for a hit on defenseless receiver and so it, it just makes sense i'm sure many people are surprised to know that it wasn't already in place uh and uh, or not, but like that, that seemed like a no-brainer in terms of safety as well.
0: Yeah, and the, the other one is kind of the Bill Belichick rule, which Bill Belichick's the first one that saw the loopholes when you're trying to win the game and cl- close out the clock, either at the end of halves or at the end of games, by going back-to-back dead ball fouls. Describe what the dead ball foul is and how much time, at least, once they've canceled that and not allow it to happen, You know that Bill Belichick was able to run off time, and even Mike Vrabel in a game against Belichick.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically what it was is that, you know, the, the clock would, you know, would run, and then at the end, as, you know, they were in a punt formation, so they, they were at the end of the game, and they were trying to run off as much time as they could, and a lot of times you'll see, um, you know, somebody take a delay a game, and then they kick it. Well, in this case, they took the delay of game, or they committed some other penalty, and they went back to line up, and, the, and it was a dead ball foul, so the you know, as soon as the referee on his ready, the, you know, he blows the whistle, and the clock starts again, and then he committed another, you know, they, you, know you wait the, the next, you know, 35, 40 seconds or whatever, and you, you run that off and then you commit another penalty. And so that was basically what they were doing and running off more than a minute um, in a way that, you know, clearly manipulate, you know, they, they were intentional penalties. They weren't things that, you know. And it was clear a guy would pop up and cut and create a false start on his own. So basically what it meant, you know, this went through a lot of revisions and there's a lot of technicalities in it. But basically what it means is that you can't commit more than one of those penalties um, moving forward. And so the loophole that that exploited is now closed. And so it doesn't mean there won't be other loopholes down the line. There always are. Um, it was a legal play last year. The Patriots, it wasn't cheating. It was just taking advantage of the way the rule was written and, and with an unintended consequence, and they managed to, uh, to clear that up.
0: And then <clears throat> the final one was the, uh, you know, expanding the number of players you can get off of injured reserve from two to three. But I know there was language issues that kind of complicated it a little bit because before the uh, cut-down day, after the cut-down day. So what did they resolve on that?
1: Yeah, so it used to be that you had to, you couldn't designate somebody for return that you put on injured reserve before the final cutdown day. So they they were trying to disincentivize people from stashing players prior to that cutdown that, you know, maybe had a minor injury and then you could bring them back in the middle of the season. They wanted those players to, to remain active and then, um, you know, had to be, and if you didn't want to keep them on your roster, then you'd have to subject him to waivers before you brought them back. So, but, but they, they reversed that and you can now do it because, you know, there are players who suffer legitimate injuries, um, that, you know, are going to keep them out for, during the training camp that are going to keep them out for an extended period of time, but not for the whole season. And so you really do want to bring them back. So they, they allow that now and they also now allow you to, um, To to designate up to three players, uh, for, um, for, uh, return and that you're allowed to use the bye week as one of your weeks now. Um, and so they made it, they basically made it more flexible to be able to bring players off of injured reserve. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Uh, among them, I think is, is the fact that this year there's, everybody's going to need a little more roster flexibility. I have no idea what teams are going to do. What they'll be allowed to do in terms of if a player tests positive for COVID, you know, are they going to be able to put them on injured reserve, or they going to have to carry them on their active rosters? How is that going to work? But I do think that teams are going to need, you know, and can always and have needed even before COVID, um, more roster flexibility to ensure that you have proper depth on game day at each position, and so that is probably part of that as well.
0: Mm, very, <clears throat> it was an interesting but uh, not very active owners' meeting to vote on things, but. As always, you've kept up on everything so well. Kevin Seifert from ESPN.com. Thanks for joining us on Schooled with the Professor.
1: Thanks for having me, John.
0: And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.